Hello and welcome to Stuff That Interests Me with me, Dominic Frisby. Coming up in just a moment, an interview with a very interesting man, uh, an old friend, comedian, Simon Evans. If you like the show, please subscribe, please share it with friends, please rate us, please review us. We need all the help we can get. Here's Simon. Hello and welcome to Stuff That Interests Me with me, Dominic Frisby. Now, you might have seen my next guest on Live at the Apollo. You might have seen him on Michael McIntyre's Roadshow. You might have seen him on one of his many gigs around the country. You might even have heard his radio show. Well, now you can both see and hear him on Stuff That Interests Me. My guest is, of course, Simon Evans. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Now, Simon, you're a comedian, but... Today, you look every inch the businessman. Where have, you, where have you just come from? I've just come from the Lancaster Gate Hotel, or is it called the Royal Lancaster, whatever, that, that, the one that's in that snarl of traffic just opposite Hyde Park. Um, I'm involved in a new business venture to communicate the dangers of cyber crime oh, yeah. to the business community. Yeah, we've decided that it's one of those subjects, like many things that are very important to business, where people tend to glaze over and switch off uh, early on in presentation. So if we can, if we can interlock a comedic bravura of the kind that I'm famous for. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, oh, yeah, fantastic. So you're actually pack. investing in this? Yeah, I've made a small investment and I'm working with a couple of people who actually know about cyber and um, I'm trying to educate myself. Although in reality, it's actually, of course, always about um, educating people to just stop being absolute idiots rather than having to grasp any sort of significant technical so, so details. do you use complicated passwords for your... Passwords is a very good place to start, yes. The best thing, of course, with passwords is to just come up with a, an, an amusing acronym that nobody could possibly guess. Uh, and then you, you remember the phrase, you know, which might be uh, Dominic Frisbee uh, has the most interesting podcast uh, with a reach of 48,000. And then that becomes, you know, your acronym. D-F-A and so on. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. you know, Very good. That's, a, that's an easy way to do it. But do you do that yourself? Do you practice what you preach? No, of course not, no. <laughs> my, for a long time, my, my password was... Um, uh, my PIN code, always, which is not anymore, which is why I'm able to tell you, was based on a date which we'd learned uh, by rote uh, for O-level history. It was the date of the Treaty of Unkiar Skeletsi uh, between, I think... Um, Russia and and Britain uh, about access to the uh, to the to the uh, Straits of the the Dardanelles the the Bosphorus oh Strait yeah so what was that what is it it's eighteen thirty three because I thought you were going to say ten sixty six yeah no, it, yeah, yeah. and it was obscure. the one date that my history teacher said I can't possibly you just need to know this there's no there's no sort of context you just have to remember it and so I did always remember it for some reason and then I thought well it's never going to come up now is it because I I've, I've gone down a different uh, career path, the yeah. one in which the, the treaties, the various treaties which came and went as the uh, as the 19th century Russian uh, d- determination to have access to a warm water port, uh, you know, ebbed and flowed. Very interesting, <laughs> very interesting. I'm, I'm already enlightened. So, yeah. right, let's talk about, what, what should we talk about? What, what are you doing at the moment? What are your, what projects have you got on the I'm go? working on uh, Simon Evans Goes to Market Series 4, which is Radio 4's uh, economedy show. Yeah. Um, I think it's an area that you're um, trying to uh, kind of worm your way into yeah. as well. I've been, been aware of this. But um, I think the more the merrier, I've got to say. that I think it's a big genre that we should be looking at, really. But a proper, a proper overlap or interface between comedy and economics and the fourth series funnily enough is about things a bit like this things that are free and how do we how are they actually monetized who is making money and what are the implications of that apart from 
um, you know, the free lunch, how does it work? So social media is one of those things, you know, where you, you get access to Facebook and Twitter and so on and you don't have to pay for it. How is that work? We all know, of course, it works because they're gathering data, but, you know, what, what, what are the, the deeper understandings of that? What are the implications? One of them, for instance, I don't know whether you've seen this, the uh, uh, recent uh, exposure of this Miramax uh, individual, uh, oh, yeah. Weinstein, as the uh, sexual predator that... My God, if physiognomy is anything to go by, how it's taken them this long to yeah. realise what he's up to. But I didn't tell you what you have to do in order to appear on this show. I haven't yeah. <laughs> in the shorty gown, like yeah. uh, David Duchovny. But, um, yeah, so people have said, for instance, that the reason that he has finally been exposed, Harry, Harvey Weinstein, as, as this sexual predator, is that print media has lost its ability to... Um, it's lost its, its, its political because it's lost its economic heft. And social media has talk, drawn so much of the advertising revenue away from print media now that a lot of the old... Um, sort of quasi-mafioso sort of connections that, that protected people's reputations and so on because they could make things work for you in the print media and so you didn't want to upset these people have, have drained away, leaving a lot of people with uh, less able to rely on, on, on nods and favours. Well, that is surely a good thing because it has spread power. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And yet, of course, there are new sinister implications of that as well, but we don't always see what... what but, but you're right. I think it is democratising, yeah, mm-hmm. certainly. Let's change the subject. Let's talk about comedy. Yeah. Um, what, what, one thing that interests me about comedy is this, is it's, 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 all, it's, it's very much a left-wing thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a left-wing world, and, and most of the comics who, who maybe they're politically aligned to the right in some way tend to keep their politics to themselves mm. and keep their heads down because they don't want their politics to get in the way of them getting work. Whereas the, those who are on the left tend to be much more vocal about their politics. Um, do you think... I mean, I, I can think of hundreds of... I don't actually know what your politics are. I've, I kind of think mm-hmm. sometimes... I'm not sure right, I do. I'm, yeah, well, <laughs> and the whole left-right thing is, is, is of, of course, antiquated yes. anyway. But, but uh, I think you might have some more... You're quite open-minded. You have some more sympathy to sort of right-wing views than, than, than uh, other left-wing comics do. I mean, what do you think about this kind of... What, let's talk about the state of comedy and, mm. and, and free speech in comedy, because there isn't free speech in comedy. No, there really isn't. No, you're absolutely right. And it's not just about not wanting to um, speak uh, out against the left-wing consensus or the, or the drift. And again, you're right, left-wing, it doesn't quite nail it. It's more like that kind of virtue-signalling, you know, refugees welcome kind of mentality. Yeah. It's not necessarily about left-wing in every respect, about how, you know, tax codes or whatever. It's more like a kind of let's share everything. To me, and I, this may be in itself politically incorrect to say so, but I, th- I think of it as being more characterised by a kind of feminisation uh, of the, the, the instincts uh, that I would associate traditionally with, you know, the mother half of a, of a family. If you think of the state as a family, you know, the father is like sort of stern and pa- the mm-hmm. patriarchal kind of authoritarian and uh, the rules of rules and that kind of thing, and the, the, the mother more nurturing and caring. In, in that respect, I think the state is becoming more like that, and I think that comedians of, of both sexes are adopting that kind of attitude. And it's not just that if you speak out in, uh, against that, or if you not against it specifically, but if your own views don't um, don't uh, drift in that in that direction. It's also simply that if you are on, for instance, a show like a Mop the Week type show or a panel game or whatever, and and you're kind of pushing in a different direction to everybody else. 
it's it's very you you feel immediately very alienated or isolated, you know, and, mm. and the audience will pick up on that and they don't like it, you know. But I have to say, it's interesting, and I don't despair of it by any means because these. I think comedy, like most things, is subject to that kind of Hegelian sort of seesaw thing, you know, and we, we forget, but for many years, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, if you look at 1970s, yeah. you know, comedy now, it is absolutely shocking how sexist it is, how racist it is, all of the um, presumptions and stereotypes and, and, and un, unaddressed and unexamined bigotries are, you know, they're right there, even in our favourite, you know, the, even in the, the two Ronnies and the... You know, yeah. the, the sketches of the two Ronnies now, are, I mean, you know, obviously I, I, I adore them and, and, and think of them with great affection, but actually it's kind of borderline unwatchable sometimes. Yeah, you know. pass master today, for no. sure. Um, I think a lot of it is also to do... It's not so much the comedians and, and comedy, it's also audiences. Mm. You know, comedy audiences are very left-wing. It attracts... Mm. It, you know, if I... I remember in the lead-up to the Brexit vote... I, as far as I knew, I was about the only comedian that vocally went on stage and said, I'm voting Brexit and here's why. And I, you know, when I was comparing, and I'd do it in a very kind of friendly way, in non-confrontation, but when I was comparing and I'd get the audience to cheer which way they were voting, it was 90%, 95% in favour of Remain. And yet if I go and do a financial talk or something like that, it was the complete opposite. And it was weird just, just how different... Um, people dif- of different political leanings are attracted to different genres of entertainment, I suppose. So, yeah. it, you know, comics are part be... regulated by their audience. Is I that a, a London thing, though, particularly, or did you find that? Uh, no, it... I'm sort of talking London. Yeah. Does that change as you go... Well, I mean, I, I was asked to write a piece for The Telegraph a, a few months ago uh, off the back of revelations which were then quite stridently denied. But Stuart Lee had been saying in, in a piece that he found that the consensus, the comedy consensus, didn't work when you went to Stoke-on-Trent or whatever. And uh, he said it a bit tongue-in-cheek. Marcus Brigstock said the same thing, yeah. though, that, you know, you certainly can't assume that you can just... But, you know, I have seen comedians come on stage and essentially begin, you know, right off the bat with, uh, can I just say, if you voted Brexit... Up off right now, you yeah. know, and and it makes me feel uncomfortable, you know, yeah. uh, without uh, you know without. Well, something changed after Brexit. Whereas until that point, people who maybe had political leanings that weren't in alignment with the kind of Guardian reading yeah. comic, they just when that subject was touched, they kept stub. Mm. And then something changed after Brexit. And they people started to grow a bit more confident yeah. about uttering non-Guardian political mm. views, if you see what I mean. I mean, the, 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 the media, uh, and, and indeed comedians, um, vocalised a lot of concern that it would unleash racism, that there would be hate crimes of one kind or another, and I think that was hugely overstated. Yeah. I, I haven't seen any... I mean, I know it's easy for me to say I'm not subject to them, but, you know, I live somewhere where... I live in Hove, which was uh, at one time an absolute uh, hotbed of the National Front, quite literally their sort of centre. But uh, I see there's plenty of opportunity for people to scroll swastikas or whatever... What I see on the street is no more or less, you know, and I th- if anything, I've seen uh, the kind of Antifa kind of mentality more emboldened than than, yeah. than, than, uh, than the right. But what I've been interested in is that there is a, uh, there's a body of thought, you can find it on Twitter, interestingly, and especially in American Twitter, there are people who hold these kind of um, heretical points of view who are really intelligent, really well-informed, who've read some interesting you know, uh, essayists and thinkers and philosophers, you might say of the right, or sometimes they're traditional Catholic thinkers or so on, you know, mm. but not, you know, not Democrats at any rate, not, not Hillary. Um, and they express themselves in, in surprisingly articulate and 
thought-provoking ways. They're not, you know, the old-fashioned, what we think of as the, the right, you know, the rise of the right in yeah. Europe is always expected to be skinheads, isn't it? It's a sort of brutal mm. mentality, people who can barely string a sentence together, you know, and you see the rise of the right in yeah. Germany or whatever vote, you know, if it's anti-Islam, it's presumed to be just a kind of, oh, I don't like it. You know, and actually there's an extraordinarily intelligent, articulate, long view, overview, but you don't hear it through comedy, you're right. No. You know, it's not allowed. And, you know, I bet someone like Bill Hicks mm. was pretty right-wing. <laughs> when you hear his stuff, you go, come on, mate. Well, he certainly had that kind of conspiracy, yeah. borderline conspiracy theory. He genuinely believed in aliens, didn't he? Or at least he'd give you to believe that. On, okay. on, you know, he believed in UFOs, or he believed there was something going on. He believed that the government was covering something up. I mean, as we've talked before, the left and right wing thing is not always yeah, that I, useful, is it? No, but, I mean, I, 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 I see it more as a battle between authoritarian and, and libertarian. <coughs> what or I if see you have it, as, it as, certainly as the partly square. as a battle between... Um, electable democratic institutions or the degree to which one side or the other or more worryingly both are entirely controlled by banking, entirely controlled by big business, entirely controlled by the deep state, as they, mm -hmm. the phrase that's come up now, which is, you know, there is a sense, regardless of what you think of Trump, and I by, by no means would want Trump to be the kind of figurehead of any movement I'd get behind per se, but he is the first properly foreign body to enter the, yeah. the, the White House in my lifetime. And the degree to which that, you know, the body politic is convulsing, you know, in trying to expel him by any means possible, you know. It's, it's, I mean, like, I like, it's him. like the whole of the White House has gone into complete reverse peristalsis. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. I, I like him for the simple reason that he's upset all the right people. Yeah, yeah, so, he has. And also, know, because he's got in... The right questions have been asked about Hillary. The right questions have been asked about what was ever actually achieved under Obama. The right questions have been asked about what Clinton, Bill Clinton, you know, really represented and what he got away with. And that's tying back into Weinstein, you know. The right questions have been asked, which would just never have happened. Yeah. It would have just all gone right underground again, you know, and it would have been carpeted over. We need him to break a bit of China. Yeah, yeah. I mean... The only problem is he just doesn't seem to be able to hold on to a... I say the only problem, it's not the only problem, but <laughs> a serious problem, he doesn't seem to be able to hold on to a team or combine. No. I, I did have the hope that he would at least... You know, that he he would recognise he didn't know what the hell he was doing, but he could, you know... Yeah, there's no strategy there. No. There's no, like... It's it's so instinctive and wishy-washy and, yeah. you know, whatever the way the wind blows, he'll... Yeah, I, I mean, I get all of that. Yeah. I just like him because he's, cause he's breaking things. Yeah, he's breaking and, things, absolutely, yeah. Um, what about comedy on television? What, what's your view of, of the BBC at the moment? I'll be honest, I don't watch a great deal of it, but that's not, an in, that's not like a, a, a willful, determined uh, withdrawal of my, of my assent or anything, but I think you reach a certain point where... I mean, if you work in comedy, you sort of have to keep a weather eye on certain things to see how trends are developing. But yeah. I think a lot of it is, is aimed at younger people than myself as well, you know, what, what you would really call actual comedy comedy. You know, yeah, my kids sit there watching it, yeah. and so it's on in the background, so I can't help hearing it. My, I mean, and my, I'm always shaking my head going, oh, I can't believe he's, he's not doing that. That's so old, that Well, device. my kids but watch, to them it's they're new. 13 and 10, they watch yeah. like uh, Cartoon Network or The you okay. know, Simpsons or Adventure Time, that kind of stuff. It's more adventurous, more in interesting and different. I mean, there are some shows, I think there's one called Back, which is uh, actually on Channel 4, but Simon Blackwell sitcom, which okay. I think is really, really funny. It's a Mitchell and Webb thing. You know, traditional sitcom, if it's well written, I can still, you know, totally get behind it but 
I think that, I mean, you've got to be honest with yourself. If I watch something like Mock the Week and I know I'm not on it and I'm not getting on it, you know, that does colour your view slightly. Yeah. You know, it's hard to just sit there and just revel in the, in, the, in the sheer fun they're generating when there is a part of you thinking, you know, that you've missed out. Mm. <laughs> you know? well, so that's, I that's have true. to be, you know. The, the thing is, the thing about programmes like Mock the Week, though, is that I can just see how how unimprovised it is, how yes. manufactured it is. Yeah. And, and I often wonder, is that not visible to a non-comedy person? Which is person? particularly a shame, given that it's Dan Patterson, who, was, who, was, who first broke through with Whose Line Is It Anyway, which genuinely did create mm. the first great wave of, of improv, which is where I started. I did a couple of years of improv, you know, just for okay. fun, really, but um, that was how I got into comedy. And improv is a fantastic... Um, discipline and a, a kind of it's almost like a religion if you follow it properly it yeah. kind of it comes into your whole life you know and your whole way of being and your attitude in a really good way it's a sort of positive psychology discipline as much as anything else and um yeah he's kind of debased it with that i'm afraid to be honest but you know all any all most people want is they want 25 minutes of of wall-to-wall jokes you know mm. and that's how you get it and if you had proper improv and you were actually asking people to f- take the chance and fail you know, I think the, the numbers would fall away, unfortunately. That's how it is. How do you... We're, we're going to wrap up in a moment, but I want to ask... Yeah. I've always admired... You've been always very prolific writer over the years. Sure. Um, well, I mean, you produce all your material for your, for your uh, radio show and yeah. you produce a new hour in Edinburgh most years. I presume the, the, the content changes. I don't, don't see the show every year, but I saw yeah. it last year and it was all new to me and I thought it was terrific. Thank you. How do you go about your writing? How do you... I find that it's... Bloody hard work. There's no two ways about it. I mean, and whenever you meet somebody who isn't at stand-up, they go, oh, I can never do what you do, and they think the hard bit is getting up in front of audiences. And, of course, as long as you know you have decent material, that isn't hard at no. all. That's the easy bit, you know. Developing new material. And the hardest thing is to know what to talk about and, and what sort of what attitude to have about it. Not, like, cynically, but you have to know something that will connect with the audience, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you mustn't... However much you want to be true to yourself, you don't want to descend into just being a grumpy old man. So no. you've got to have something... There's got to be a bit of grit, but there's got to be spin as well. Yeah. It's got to, you know, it's got to be a blade. Do you, do you sit and write it on a computer, or do you write it I on, do a on bit, in your head? I do a bit, but the best, no, the best stuff always comes from conversation. It always comes... It's usually a conversation with a little bit of alcohol involved, you know. That, that's the, and so I have one or two people I've used as sort of writing partners... Um, but it's always very informal, and I really don't like to have that kind of right. I want you at my desk, you know, right. at nine a.m. And do you do you do you go do you then go and write down the conversations yeah, yeah. or bullet or you points? Just try or and remember it. And sometimes it's with walking. You know, my you know my favourite idea really is the whole peripatetic school. You know, yeah. the actual strolling along that just stimulates the blood flow enough. If you just sit at your screen and stare at a blank word document, nothing will. I don't think I've ever written a decent. No. You know, I've found the form of words, perhaps, to say what it is I want to say, but the ideas never emerge in that situation. OK, so you don't... You don't so you'll go in, you'll have your ideas, and so effectively... I try and get into conversations with people. And so you write, what you, you write your material in your head, basically. And most of the good routines that I've ever had, proper stand-up routines, have actually emerged from a position of genuine anger or frustration or confusion that I've expressed to somebody, and they've, they've found it funny that I don't get it. You know, I'm going... But how? Why are they? Is, why is anyone buying that when there's this available? You know, yeah. and somebody will go. <laughs> Do you want to see? You know, they, yeah. they find me amusing because. So you have to sort of be alert, I think, to your own ridiculousness, your own absurdities, and not be sort of offended by them, but be willing to express them. I think eccentricity. I mean, that was the the nub of my show that I did in Edinburgh this year, which was called Genius, 
and it was it did kind of look at you know native intelligence to some extent and you know where does genius what is you know what are the the, the, the ingredients of mm -hmm. extraordinary intelligence and, and the capacity to deliver on that intelligence of course but my, my ultimate you know finding essentially was that it's eccentricity it's the the determination the the, the freedom to just be yourself and pursue your ideas as you see fit it's it's known to be a very healthy state of mind eccentrics especially in the age before you know widespread medical interventions kept people alive long after they would and should have just died you know that's kind of blurring the line now mm -hmm. but in the 19th century and so on eccentrics shown to live longer be healthier be more robust and john stuart mill who was the um as you know the sort of father mm -hmm. of libertarian thought um had a great passage in his book on liberty in which he discusses that being eccentric is the is the most valuable contribution you can make to society to express your views without fear or favour, uh, to test the current consensus in society by the expression of those views, but also just for your own, you know, health of mind. And, uh, and that, that, he felt, even in the 19th century, was the most clear and present danger to the, the, the political life and so on, that so few people were dared to be eccentric. Well, if it was the case in in his lifetime, then it's clearly, you know, it's diminishing now. I mean, some people are willing to be eccentric. And I've, I've locked horns, not that he's ever noticed, but I've locked horns with Russell Brand on one or two of his ideas. But I do at least cherish the fact that he is quite willing to go his own way. And he will wear, you know, skinny uh, black satin ladies' trousers and sit there and discuss um, why he thinks complete legalisation of, of drugs would be the best way to reduce levels of addiction. And he, he is immune to any kind of ridicule on that front. He may or may not be right, but he is willing to, to go that, you know, to go yeah, his own route. Yeah, he's bold. He's his own man, yeah. for sure. Um, what you've described, eccentricity, is exactly what comedy is supposed to be, yes. even if it's not quite that at the moment. It's not, but I think it will come back. I do as well. Yeah. Funnily enough, I mean, when Eddie Izzard emerged and particularly when he emerged as a transvestite, when he first emerged, you know, just as his sort of style. And it, was, it wasn't a huge shock, I don't think, to anyone. But, you know, though I suppose it's a degree to which you think, just how transvestite are you? Because almost anyone who's in show business is a bit of a transvestite. Mm. You know, there is a degree of flash. But that was a properly eccentric uh, behaviour, and his views and his attitudes and the, the, the sort of subtext to everything he was saying felt eccentric. Funnily enough, he sort of set the tone for the next... I mean, we're still living in Eddie Izzard's world, really. That that kind of... And he now, of course, yeah, you mean, know, campaigns for Remain and, and Open Borders and does gigs in French and all the rest of it. So that, in a way, he's created the new consensus, but that's how it goes, isn't mm -hmm. it? I remember when we kind of started out at a similar time in the yeah. late 90s and there were so many Eddie Izzard copycats. Yeah, yeah. Now they all copy Daniel Kitson, yes. all the young comics. Yeah, but. yeah. But Eddie Izzard was, I mean, he was one of those guys you fell off your seat laughing at him with the first few times you saw him. Again, he concealed the degree to which, uh, obviously, what had originally been spontaneous had, in fact, been absorbed into the show. Mm. But that is a great skill, and he was doing it live, and it was convincing, you know. So, uh, but I, 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 you know, I had tears rolling down my face the first few times I saw Eddie Izzard. It was amazing. But as I say, these things get absorbed and then you need somebody else to come along and smash First it up. First time I saw him, I sat at the very back row of the Brixton Academy and he was just a speck in the distance and I was yeah. just so cross. I just thought, this is not <laughs> the way to watch comedy and I no, absolutely hated true. the show. Yeah. Simon, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being so generous with your time and, and appearing on the show. Not at all. And uh, in, 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 in order to express my gratitude, I would now like to give you an opportunity to plug your website, your Twitter feed, anything you want to plug. Well, if you'd like to follow me, 
me on Twitter. Where, where shall I say? address camera number three? If you'd like to join me on Twitter, I'm the Simon Evans. Uh, you will have to forgive the, the definite article there. It was actually quite ironic when I first joined Twitter. I had no idea that I... If you get enough followers and you've called yourself the whatever then it looks genuinely arrogant. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? When you have like three... But I thought it was a way of doing it when somebody else had already taken the name. Yeah, they had, but I could have found it. I could have underscored it or something. Oh, okay. Anyway, the Simon Evans on Twitter. I will be touring in the spring, the show that um, got a five-star review from The Scotsman in, in Edinburgh, which is um, uh, coveted. So that is... I'm, I'm pleased with that show. It's an excellent Do come show. and see that. That's called Genius. And Simon Evans Goes to Market will be back on Radio 4 in the spring, as I say, looking at the... Uh, the underlying principles which allow people to offer services apparently for free. No such thing as a free lunch. No. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, Thank you very much to Simon. And I'll be back with more stuff that interests me at the same time next week.